Chapter Twenty One of Humorous Ghost Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Humorous Ghost Stories, selected by Dorothy Scarborough. Chapter Twenty One the spectre of tappington part two from the ingoldsby legends compiled by richard barham on the following morning contrary to his usual custom seaforth was the first person in the breakfast parlour as no one else was present he did precisely what nine young men out of ten so situated would have done he walked up to the mantelpiece established himself upon the rug and subducting his coat-tails one under each arm turned towards the fire that portion of the human frame which it is considered equally indecorous to present to a friend or an enemy a serious not to say anxious expression was visible upon his good-humoured countenance and his mouth was fast buttoning itself up for an incipient whistle when little flo a tiny spaniel of the blenheim breed the pet object of miss julia simpkinson's affections bounced out from beneath a sofa and began to bark at his pantaloons they were cleverly built of a light grey mixture a broad stripe of the most vivid scarlet traversing each seam in a perpendicular direction from hip to ankle in short the regimental costume of the royal bombay fencibles the animal educated in the country had never seen such a pair of breeches in her life omne ignotum pro magnifico the scarlet streak inflamed as it was by the reflection of the fire seemed to act on flora's nerves as the same colour does on those of bulls and turkeys she advanced at the pas de charge and her vociferation like her amazement was unbounded a sound kick from the disgusted officer changed its character and induced a retreat at the very moment when the mistress of the pugnacious quadruped entered to the rescue lassie me flo what is the matter cried the sympathizing lady with a scrutinizing glance levelled at the gentleman it might as well have lighted on a feather bed his air of imperturbable unconsciousness defied examination and as he would not and flora could not expound that injured individual was compelled to pocket up her wrongs others of the household soon dropped in and clustered round the board dedicated to the most sociable of meals the urn was paraded hissing hot and the cups which cheer but not inebriate steamed redolent of hissen and pico muffins and marmalade newspapers and finnan hatties left little room for observation on the character of charles's warlike turnout at length a look from caroline followed by a smile that nearly ripened into a titter caused him to turn abruptly and address his neighbour it was miss simpkinson who deeply engaged in sipping her tea and turning over her album seemed like a female chrononotonthologos immersed in cogibundity of cogitation 
an interrogatory on the subject of her studies drew from her the confession that she was at that moment employed in putting the finishing touches to a poem inspired by the romantic shades of bolsover the entreaties of the company were of course urgent mr peters who liked verses was especially persevering and sappho at length compliant after a preparatory hem and a glance at the mirror to ascertain that her look was sufficiently sentimental the poetess began there is a calm a holy feeling vulgar minds can never know o'er the bosom softly stealing chastened grief delicious woe oh how sweet at eve regaining yon lone tower's sequestered shade sadly mute and uncomplaining yow 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 yelled a hapless sufferer from beneath the table it was an unlucky hour for quadrupeds and if every dog will have his day he could not have selected a more unpropitious one than this mrs ogleton too had a pet a favorite pug whose squab figure black muzzle and tortuosity of tail that curled like a head of celery in a salad bowl bespoke his dutch extraction yow 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 continued the brute a chorus in which flo instantly joined sooth to say pug had more reason to express his dissatisfaction than was given him by the muse of simpkinson the other only barked for company scarcely had the poetess got through her first stanza when tom ingoldsby in the enthusiasm of the moment became so lost in the material world that in his abstraction he unwarily laid his hand on the cock of the urn quivering with emotion he gave it such an unlucky twist that the full stream of its scalding contents descended on the gingerbread hide of the unlucky cupid the confusion was complete the whole economy of the table disarranged the company broke up in the most admired disorder and vulgar minds will never know anything more of miss simpkinson's ode till they peruse it in some forthcoming annual seaforth profited by the confusion to take the delinquent who had caused this stramash by the arm and to lead him to the lawn where he had a word or two for his private ear the conference between the young gentlemen was neither brief in its duration nor unimportant in its result the subject was what lawyers call tripartite embracing the information that charles seaforth was over head and ears in love with tom ingoldsby's sister secondly that the lady had referred him to papa for his sanction thirdly and lastly his nightly visitations and consequent bereavement at the first two times tom smiled suspiciously at the last he burst out into an absolute guffaw steal your breeches miss bailey over again by jove shouted ingoldsby but a gentleman you say and sir giles too i'm not sure charles whether i ought not to call you out for aspersing the honour of the family laugh as you will tom be as incredulous as you please 
one fact is incontestable the breeches are gone look here i am reduced to my regimentals and if these go to-morrow i must borrow from you rochefoucault says there is something in the misfortunes of our very best friends that does not displease us assuredly we can most of us laugh at their petty inconveniences till called upon to supply them tom composed his features on the instant and replied with more gravity as well as with an expletive which if my lord mayor had been within hearing might have cost him five shillings there is something very queer in this after all the clothes you say have positively disappeared somebody is playing you a trick and ten to one your servant had a hand in it by the way i heard something yesterday of his kicking up a bobbery in the kitchen and seeing a ghost or something of that kind himself depend upon it barney is in the plot it now struck the lieutenant at once that the usually buoyant spirits of his attendant had of late been materially sobered down his loquacity obviously circumscribed and that he the said lieutenant had actually rung his bell three several times that very morning before he could procure his attendance mr maguire was forthwith summoned and underwent a close examination the bobbery was easily explained mr oliver dobbs had hinted his disapprobation of a flirtation carrying on between the gentleman from munster and the lady from the rue st honore mademoiselle had boxed mr maguire's ears and mr maguire had pulled mademoiselle upon his knee and the lady had not cried mon dieu and mr oliver dobbs said it was very wrong and mrs botherby said it was scandalous and what ought not to be done in any moral kitchen and mr maguire had got hold of the honourable augustus sucklethumbkin's powder flask and had put large pinches of the best double dartford into mr dobbs's tobacco-box and mr dobbs's pipe had exploded and set fire to mrs botherby's sunday cap and mr maguire had put it out with a slop basin barring the wig and then they were all so cantankerous that barney had gone to take a walk in the garden and then then mr barney had seen a ghost a what you blockhead asked tom ingoldsby sure then and it's meself will tell your honour the rights of it said the ghost seer meself and miss pauline sir or miss pauline and meself for the ladies comes first anyhow we got tired of the hobstropolis scrimmaging among the old servants that didn't know a joke when they seen one and we went out to look at the comet that's the rory bory alehouse they calls him in this country and we walked upon the lawn and divil of any alehouse there was there at all and miss pauline said it was because of the shrubbery maybe and why wouldn't we see it better beyond the tree so we went to the trees but sorrow a comet did meself see there bearing a big ghost instead of it a ghost and what sort of a ghost 
barney och then divil a lie i'll tell your honour a tall old gentleman he was all in white with a shovel on the shoulder of him and a big torch in his fist though what he wanted with that it's meself can't tell for his eyes were like gig lamps let alone the moon and the comet which wasn't there at all and barney he says to me cause why he knew me barney says he what is it you're doing with the colleen there barney divil a word did i say miss pauline screeched and cried murther in french and ran off with herself and of course meself was in a mighty hurry after the lady and had no time to stop palavering with him anyway so i dispersed at once and the ghost vanished in a flame of fire mr maguire's account was received with avowed incredulity by both gentlemen but barney stuck to his text with unflinching pertinacity a reference to mademoiselle was suggested but abandoned as neither party had a taste for delicate investigations i tell you what seaforth said ingoldsby after barney had received his dismissal that there is a trick here is evident and barney's vision may possibly be a part of it whether he is most knave or fool you best know at all events i will sit up with you to-night and see if i can convert my ancestor into a visiting acquaintance meanwhile your finger to your lip twas now the very witching time of night when churchyards yawn and graves give up their dead gladly would i grace my tale with decent horror and therefore i do beseech the gentle reader to believe that if all the succedonia to this mysterious narrative are not in strict keeping he will ascribe it only to the disgraceful innovations of modern degeneracy upon the sober and dignified habits of our ancestors i can introduce him it is true into an old and high-roofed chamber its walls covered in three sides with black oak wainscoting adorned with carvings of fruit and flowers long anterior to those of grinling gibbons the fourth side is clothed with a curious remnant of dingy tapestry once elucidatory of some scriptural history but of which not even mrs botherby could determine mr simpkinson who had examined it carefully inclined to believe the principal figure to be either bathsheba or daniel in the lion's den while tom ingoldsby decided in favour of the king of bashan all however was conjecture tradition being silent on the subject a lofty arched portal led into and a little arched portal led out of this apartment they were opposite each other and each possessed the security of massy bolts on its interior the bedstead too was not one of yesterday but manifestly coeval with days ere seddens was and when a good four-post article was deemed worthy of being a royal bequest the bed itself with all the appurtenances of pallias mattresses etc was of far later date and looked most incongruously comfortable the casements too 
with their little diamond-shaped panes and iron binding, had given way to the modern heterodoxy of the sash window. Nor was this all that conspired to ruin the costume, and render the room a meet haunt for such mixed spirits only as could condescend to don at the same time an Elizabethan doublet and Bond Street inexpressibles. With their green Morocco slippers on a modern fender, in front of a disgracefully modern grate, sat two young gentlemen, clad in shawl-pattern dressing-gowns and black silk stocks, much at variance with the high cane-backed chairs which supported them. A bunch of abomination, called a cigar, reeked in the left-hand corner of the mouth of one, and in the right-hand corner of the mouth of the other, an arrangement happily adapted for the escape of the noxious fumes up the chimney, without that unmerciful funking each other, which a less scientific disposition of the weed would have induced. A small Pembroke table filled up the intervening space between them, sustaining, at each extremity, an elbow and a glass of toddy. Thus in lonely pensive contemplation were the two worthies occupied, when the iron tongue of midnight tolled twelve ghost times come said ingoldsby taking from his waistcoat pocket a watch like a gold half-crown and consulting it as though he suspected the turret clock over the stables of mendacity hush said charles did i not hear a footstep there was a pause there was a footstep it sounded distinctly it reached the door it hesitated stopped and passed on tom darted across the room threw open the door and became aware of mrs botherby toddling to her chamber at the other end of the gallery after dosing one of the housemaids with an approved julep from the countess of kent's choice manual good night sir said mrs botherby go to the dell said the disappointed ghost hunter an hour two rolled on and still no spectral visitation nor did aught intervene to make night hideous and when the turret clock sounded at length the hour of three ingoldsby whose patience and grog were alike exhausted sprang from his chair saying this is all infernal nonsense my good fellow deuce of any ghost shall we see to-night it's long past the canonical hour i'm off to bed and as to your breeches i'll insure them for the next twenty-four hours at least at the price of the buckram certainly oh thank ye to be sure stammered charles rousing himself from a reverie which had degenerated into an absolute snooze good night my boy bolt the door behind me and defy the pope the devil and the pretender seaforth followed his friend's advice and the next morning came down to breakfast dressed in the habiliments of the preceding day the charm was broken the demon defeated the light greys with the red stripe down the seam were yet in rerum natura and adorned the person of their lawful proprietor 
tom felicitated himself and his partner of the watch on the result of their vigilance but there is a rustic adage which warns us against self-congratulation before we are quite out of the wood seaforth was yet within its verge a rap at tom ingoldsby's door the following morning startled him as he was shaving he cut his chin come in and be did to you said the martyr pressing his thumb on the scarified epidermis the door opened and exhibited mr barney maguire well barney what is it quoth the sufferer adopting the vernacular of his visitant the master sir well what does he want the lonest of a breeches plays your honour why you don't mean to tell me by heaven this is too good shouted tom bursting into a fit of uncontrollable laughter why barney you don't mean to say the ghost has got them again mr maguire did not respond to the young squire's risibility the cast of his countenance was decidedly serious faith then it's gone they are sure enough hasn't meself been looking over the bed and under the bed and in the bed for the matter of that and a divil a haperth of breeches is there to the fore at all i'm bothered entirely harkee mr barney said tom incautiously removing his thumb and letting a crimson stream incarnadine the multitudinous lather that plastered his throat this may be all very well with your master but you don't humbug me sir tell me instantly what have you done with the clothes this abrupt transition from lively to severe certainly took maguire by surprise and he seemed for an instant as much disconcerted as it is possible to disconcert an irish gentleman's gentleman me is it meself then that's the ghost to your honour's thinking he said after a moment's pause and with a slight shade of indignation in his tones is it i would stale the master's things and what would i do with them that you best know what your purpose is i can't guess for i don't think you mean to stale them as you call it but that you are concerned in their disappearance i am satisfied confound this blood give me a towel barney maguire acquitted himself of the commission as of a soul your honour said he solemnly little it is meself knows of the matter and after what i seen what you've seen why what have you seen barney i don't want to inquire into your flirtations but don't suppose you can palm off your saucer eyes and gig lamps upon me then as sure as your honour's standing there i saw him and why wouldn't i when miss pauline was to the fore as well as meself and get along with your nonsense leave the room sir but the master said barney imploringly and without a breeches sure he'll be catching cold take that rascal replied ingoldsby throwing a pair of pantaloons at 
rather than to him but don't suppose sir you shall carry on your tricks here with impunity recollect there is such a thing as a treadmill and that my father is a county magistrate barney's eye flashed fire he stood erect and was about to speak but mastering himself not without an effort he took up the garment and left the room as perpendicular as a quaker ingoldsby said charles seaforth after breakfast this is now past a joke to-day is the last of my stay for notwithstanding the ties which detain me common decency obliges me to visit home after so long an absence i shall come to an immediate explanation with your father on the subject nearest my heart and to depart while i have a change of dress left on his answer will my return depend in the meantime tell me candidly i ask it in all seriousness and as a friend am i not a dupe to your well-known propensity to hoaxing have you not a hand in no by heaven seaforth i see what you mean on my honour i am as much mystified as yourself and if your servant not he if there be a trick he at least is not privy to it if there be a trick why charles do you think i know not what to think tom as surely as you are a living man so surely did that spectral anatomy visit my room again last night grin in my face and walk away with my trousers nor was i able to spring from my bed or break the chain which seemed to bind me to my pillow seaforth said ingoldsby after a short pause i will but hush here are the girls and my father i will carry off the females and leave you a clear field with the governor carry your point with him and we will talk about your breeches afterwards tom's diversion was successful he carried off the ladies en masse to look at a remarkable specimen of the class dodecandria monogynia which they could not find while seaforth marched boldly up to the encounter and carried the governor's outworks by coup de main i shall not stop to describe the progress of the attack suffice it that it was as successful as could have been wished and that seaforth was referred back again to the lady the happy lover was off at a tangent the botanical party was soon overtaken and the arm of caroline whom a vain endeavour to spell out the linnean name of a daffy down dilly had detained a little in the rear of the others was soon firmly locked in his own what was the world to them its noise its nonsense and its breeches all seaforth was in seventh heaven he retired to his room that night as happy as if no such thing as a goblin had ever been heard of and personal chattels were as well fenced in by law as real property not so tom ingoldsby the mystery for mystery there evidently was had not only piqued his curiosity but ruffled his temper the watch of the previous night had been unsuccessful probably because it was undisguised to-night he would ensconce himself 
not indeed behind the arras for the little that remained was as we have seen nailed to the wall but in a little closet which opened from one corner of the room and by leaving the door ajar would give to its occupant a view of all that might pass in the apartment here did the young ghost-hunter take up a position with a good stout sapling under his arm a full half-hour before seaforth retired for the night not even his friend did he let into his confidence fully determined that if his plan did not succeed the failure should be attributed to himself alone at the usual hour of separation for the night tom saw from his concealment the lieutenant enter his room and after taking a few turns in it with an expression so joyous as to betoken that his thoughts were mainly occupied by his approaching happiness proceeded slowly to disrobe himself the coat the waistcoat the black silk stock were gradually discarded the green morocco slippers were kicked off and then ay and then his countenance grew grave it seemed to occur to him all at once that this was his last stake nay that the very breeches he had on were not his own that to-morrow morning was his last and that if he lost them a glance showed that his mind was made up he replaced the single button he had just subducted and threw himself upon the bed in a state of transition half chrysalis half grub wearily did tom ingoldsby watch the sleeper by the flickering light of the night lamp till the clock striking one induced him to increase the narrow opening which he had left for the purpose of observation the motion slight as it was seemed to attract charles's attention for he raised himself suddenly to a sitting posture listened for a moment then stood upright upon the floor ingoldsby was on the point of discovering himself when the light flashing full upon his friend's countenance he perceived that though his eyes were open their sense was shut that he was yet under the influence of sleep seaforth advanced slowly to the toilet lit his candle at the lamp that stood on it then going back to the bed's foot appeared to search eagerly for something which he could not find for a few moments he seemed restless and uneasy walking round the apartment and examining the chairs till coming fully in front of a large swing-glass that flanked the dressing-table he paused as if contemplating his figure in it he now returned towards the bed put on his slippers and with cautious and stealthy steps proceeded towards the little arched doorway that opened on the private staircase as he drew the bolt tom ingoldsby emerged from his hiding-place but the sleepwalker heard him not he proceeded softly downstairs followed at a due distance by his friend opened the door which led out upon the gardens and stood at once among the thickest of the shrubs which there clustered round the base of a corner turret and screened the postern from common observation at this moment ingoldsby had nearly spoilt all by making a false step the sound attracted seaforth's attention he paused and turned and 
as the full moon shed her light directly upon his pale and troubled features tom marked almost with dismay the fixed and rayless appearance of his eyes there was no speculation in those orbs that he did glare withal the perfect stillness preserved by his follower seemed to reassure him he turned aside and from the midst of the thickest la rustinus drew forth a gardener's spade shouldering which he proceeded with great rapidity into the midst of the shrubbery arrived at a certain point where the earth seemed to have been recently disturbed he set himself heartily to the task of digging till having thrown up several shovelfuls of mould he stopped flung down his tool and very composedly began to disencumber himself of his pantaloons up to this moment tom had watched him with a wary eye he now advanced cautiously and as his friend was busily engaged in disentangling himself from his garment made himself master of the spade seaforth meanwhile had accomplished his purpose he stood for a moment with his streamers waving in the wind occupied in carefully rolling up the small clothes into as compact a form as possible and all heedless of the breath of heaven which might certainly be supposed at such a moment and in such a plight to visit his frame too roughly he was in the act of stooping low to deposit the pantaloons in the grave which he had been digging for them when tom ingoldsby came close behind him and with the flat side of the spade the shock was effectual never again was lieutenant seaforth known to act the part of a somnambulist one by one his breeches his trousers his pantaloons his silk net tights his patent cords his showy greys with the broad red stripe of the bombay fencibles were brought to light rescued from the grave in which they had been buried like the strata of a christmas pie and after having been well aired by mrs botherby became once again effective the family the ladies especially laughed the peterses laughed the simpkinsons laughed barney maguire cried botheration and mademoiselle pauline mon dieu charles seaforth unable to face the quizzing which awaited him on all sides started off two hours earlier than he had proposed he soon returned however and having at his father-in-law's request given up the occupation of rajah hunting and shooting nabobs led his blushing bride to the altar mr simpkinson from bath did not attend the ceremony being engaged at the grand junction meeting of scavens then congregating from all parts of the known world in the city of dublin his essay demonstrating that the globe is a great custard whipped into coagulation by whirlwinds and cooked by electricity a little too much baked in the isle of portland and thought underdone about the bog of allen was highly spoken of and narrowly escaped obtaining a bridgewater prize miss simpkinson and her sister acted as bridesmaids on the occasion the former wrote an epithalamium 
and the latter cried lassie me at the clergyman's wig some years have since rolled on the union has been crowned with two or three tidy little offshoots from the family tree of whom master neddy is grandpapa's darling and marianne mamma's particular sock i shall only add that mr and mrs seaforth are living together quite as happily as two good-hearted good-tempered bodies very fond of each other can possibly do and that since the day of his marriage charles has shown no disposition to jump out of bed or ramble out of doors o nights though from his entire devotion to every wish and whim of his young wife tom insinuates that the fair caroline does still occasionally take advantage of it so far as to slip on the breeches End of chapter twenty one